0: This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. So what I want to do is circle back to Aquinas' conception of charity. And I, I want this to be a kind of a loom on which to weave some of the things that you've been learning and clarifying this weekend. It's another like the account of the contemplative life I gave you. It's another big, broad framework in which to, I think, better understand uh, the the kind of prayer we've been discussing. And I think it may even speak to some of the questions that were raised in, in the last talk that, uh, that my colleague uh, answered very clearly, but we may have a chance to revisit them. So... Here goes. We want to talk about charity and friend as a kind of friendship with God. The, the context for understanding charity is first and foremost Holy Scripture. And I've put here a couple of passages. So we read in John 15:15 15, 15, that Jesus says to his disciples, and I think by extension, the Holy Spirit says to us, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. And when Thomas Aquinas reads this passage, and specifically when he notes Christ's an announcement of this Friendship. He takes it to be exceedingly good news. He takes it to be a declaration of something very concrete, something very definite that can be described. He connects it with the point that St. Paul makes in the letter to the Romans, where it said that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which or who has been given to us. Specifically, Thomas takes it that when Jesus says, I call you friends, he's referring to a specific kind of love, a specific kind of love, which is a form of friendship. And that love, that friendship, he thinks Paul is saying here has has been poured into our hearts. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing I need to do is is just explain one lexical and conceptual problem that, that might trip us up trip us up. When we think of friendship, we tend to think of it as being something, if we if we try to theorize what it is, we think of it as something that kind of hovers between two people it's this um it's something uh, structural or abstract something out there that that encompasses us so there's you and i have a friendship or a friendship obtains between us and thomas and the ancients and medievals more generally have a way of thinking about this but more more primarily fundamentally that abstract way of talking about a friendship is rooted in uh, the notion that what friendship is ultimately is not something out there, but something in here that is shared in a way by two people. Friendship, in the same way that a virtue is a kind of habit for Aquinas, so he thinks of virtue, a habit is a think of a habitual disposition to act in a certain kind of way. If it's a virtue, it's a habitual disposition to to right action that makes one's act good and makes the person good. It's a tendency toward something, kind of ordering toward a certain kind of activity. So too, he thinks of friendship as being a habit in the soul that orients us toward certain others. So I have a To say that I love my wife or I love my children is to say that, I mean, I'm pointing to something habitual about me, a way in which I'm uniquely disposed. And so when Paul says that the love of God, caritas dei, has been poured into our hearts, Thomas takes Paul to be saying, God has poured this habitual disposition toward God into our hearts and created the conditions for uh, this friendship understood as the kind of a relationship in the more abstract sense. We need to put flesh in all this and the point of doing that today is to help us understand better how prayer is meant, it, is meant to be approached um, in, in the lives we actually lead. So to do that, I want to point you to what Thomas takes to be a very succinct account of what friendship is. The point of doing that is to get clear on just what it is that God has done in pouring God's own love, this friendship, into our hearts. What, what, is, what is being established so here's this passage from the second part of the Summa. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to gloss uh, four parts of friendship as Aquinas understands it. Then we're, then we're going to double back to charity. So, that, so to understand in what sense charity is a kind of friendship, we're going to begin with friendship itself. So here goes. This is Thomas, glossing Aristotle. According to the philosopher in Ethics 8, not just any love has the nature of friendship, but only that love which is together with benevolence, when namely we love someone so that we will him good. Now if we do not will good to what we love, but rather will it's good for ourselves, say in the way that we are said to love wine or horse or something like this it's not friendship love but rather a kind of yearning now benevolence does not satisfy the nature of friendship but it also requires a certain mutual love since a friend is a friend to a friend that is actual you can't see it it's hard to get but thomas is actually quipping there it's a little little play on words Haha! <laughs> we'll explain why it's funny later, maybe. And and going on. And this mutual benevolence must be founded on some kind of sharing. And that word's hard to get into English. Communicatio. And I'm going to have to say a little bit more about this. So get ready. You have friendships. You are friends to friends. And... What I'm about to do is hopefully make explicit the, the actual workings of that friendship, those friendships, and what makes them friendships truly, if indeed they are true friendships. So, look, the first thing Thomas does is he identifies a particular kind of love ingredient in friendship. And when I say friendship, I'm going to sometimes say true friendship. But if I don't say true friendship, I mean true friendship. And this is important to distinguish simply because Thomas recognizes that there are kinds of friendship which are friendship, but are kind of faintly related to friendship in the fullest sense. These are like friendships of pleasure, friendships of utility. These are relationships that obtain in our lives not which are which are forged in pursuit of something ephemeral or useful, and which typically dissolve once the 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 mutual source of pleasure uh, uh, disintegrates or the utility is no longer um, actual right you ever you ever thought you had a friend and it turned out maybe. The friendship wasn't like what you thought. Okay. Those are, those are, those friendships fall short of true friendship, as Thomas understands it. So moving back here. In true friendship, or friendship properly so-called, there is first a particular kind of love. And what Thomas says here is, it's the kind of love that's together with benevolence. He calls it friendship love. Sometimes you'll see this translated as love of friendship. It's a bit confusing, I think, to put it that way. So what is this uh, friendship love, this particular kind of love that's together with benevolence? Well, to distinguish it, you can compare it to a a very different kind of love, what Thomas calls uh, love of concupiscence or i or or a kind of which is it's a kind of yearning a kind of wanting so when i say i love tacos i do love tacos what i'm saying and we say this all the time i love tacos oh or i just love uh i don't know i i I'm, my music repertoire has grown lame, but I, I, like the, I like Bon Iver. Do you guys you know this band? I like these guys. These, it's like somebody told me recently, this is sad dad music. Uh, and I thought, whatever, fine. I'm not sad. I am a dad. But uh, when I say I, lo- I just love, I love this band, for example, what am I saying? I'm saying that, am I saying that I wish tacos well? I wish them, uh, you know, uh, health and happiness, and uh, and everything besides. Am I saying when I uh, love Bonivere that I that I hope uh, the best um, always obtains for the people in this band? It's actually just a guy, but um, not really. I mean, I I do hope that. But when I say I love Bonivere or I love tacos, what I'm saying is. I love these things for me. I want them in some way. They're pleasing to me. I take them to be good for me in some way. Tacos, in the case of tacos, I literally want to consume them. The kind of love that is ingredient in true friendship is not like this. When you love someone with this kind of love, you are loving them for their own sake, and that's why Thomas says here that it's a kind of love that's together with benevolence. You can hear it, uh, benevolentia, to wish someone well. It's to um, it's to wish their good for their sake, to prize it, to um, to be oriented toward it as something worth that's worthwhile worth existing that's simply good to that it's simply good that it is so when I say to my children I love you I mean yeah sometimes you, you, you look at your kids and you think you are so cute I do want to gobble you up but but I don't really want to do that what I'm saying is I it's good that you exist little Greta or Gabriel it's, it's good that you exist. Okay? I wish you well. And this, according to Thomas, is what love most fundamentally is. Every kind of love is a kind of well-wishing to someone. In the case of uh, um, the love of yearning or concupiscence, what I'm actually saying Beneath the claim that I love tacos is, first of all, I love Adam. And the good that I wish for Adam right now is tacos. That's what I'm saying. Now, there are kinds of friendships, as I mentioned earlier, that fall short of friendship properly so-called precisely because one or both persons relate to one another not so much as persons to be prized for their own sake, but as commodities to be consumed. Um, but we're setting that aside um, as something that is doesn't we don't see in in the range of true friendship. So that's the first piece. The second piece when we're loving someone, and I, I we could just really scoot past this because we've, we've already covered it. When we're loving someone, it's the person that we're wishing well, primarily. Because love is always a kind of wishing of some good to another. There's something that we're wanting for our friends. When I say, I love you, we'll, we'll unpack this in a minute. I'm saying, I, I wish you well, and there's some good that I'm wishing you, but it's you that I'm wishing the good too. You are the object of my love. Third, Thomas emphasizes here that for friendship to obtain there has to be a certain mutuality and you know notice why this is so okay. So you know I don't know if you ever if you ever hear someone speak in public or you read a, an essay and you think to yourself, my goodness, the, the author, whoever this person is behind this piece, must be charming, must be truly interesting. And your affection is kind of called forth and you think, I, you know, I really admire this person. And then you, you get to know their work a little bit more and you develop a real, maybe even a genuine sense of, uh, of investment in their, their well-being. You know, I hope, I hope things go well for this person. I wish them well. I, I, you know, in some faint sense, I really, you know, I, I really, I really love this author's work and this author. Do we have a friendship? No. We have the precisely one half of a friendship, Um, and the reason for this is because to have a friendship is to have a, uh, at least. Two persons who wish one another well and who wish one another some very specific good. We'll talk about that in a minute. So if we were to move back to the conception of friendship as a kind of habit, we would have to talk about how as a friendship as a habit is specifically oriented toward someone else who we take to love us in turn. Make sense, so I'm to say that friendship is a habit that's that we that we hold within ourselves is to say that we are oriented not toward just any person but oriented toward another precisely as a friend. That's Thomas's joke here. A friend is a friend to a friend. makes sense okay. The last thing that brings all this into focus is, according to Thomas, you could have even all of these three things. You could have a certain kind of love with benevolence, where two persons are wishing each other well. And yet, if there was no communicatio, no form of sharing, no, no form of togetherness, you wouldn't have a friendship full stop. Here's what, I mean. Here's what he means. A communicatio, is, as I say, it's a kind of sharing. It's Specifically, you have a communicatio or a sharing or a fellowship, we might say. It's a kind of union that obtains whenever two persons are joined together in the pursuit of some good. So, let me ask you a question based on what, what I've just said. If uh, it's true that love is, at its core, wishing someone some good, and if it's true that friends both wish each other some particular good and are actually engaged in the mutual pursuit of that good, now the question... What is it? Now, this is something that Thomas doesn't learn from Aristotle. And as near as I can tell, it's Thomas's own insight. What is the good? I mean, and this, is, this, this should, you know, kind of maybe be a moment of, I think, kind of Socratic, you know, ap- aporia. You know, we all have these friendships, You have friendships. What is it that you're doing? What are you going after? What do you want for these people? What do they want for you? What is the good that you wish your friend? I mean, it's not a trick question, but see if if you can name it. What is it? There are lots of things you want for your friends, but what's the thing you want for them most of Anyone? Fulfillment. Fulfillment? I think you do want fulfillment for them. You can, but I, I that's not exactly what I'm thinking. You'll see why in a second. What else? Happiness, which has to be holiness. So you want happiness for them, but you, but they're, but you can want happiness for other people without. Having a friendship with them? You sh- and, and you were commanded to desire this for everyone? Okay, so, the good, Thomas says, that friends want for each other precisely as friends, is Fair. their friendship. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's so and the best... Well, no, that's right, that's right. You'll see that that's a precise... <laughs> in the case of friendship... A charity that is, in fact, what uh, the good we we are in mutual pursuit of with God is precisely friendship with God. But the more general point to make is that friends will, for one another, above all, their friendship. What is it that I want for you, my friend? Well, in a sense, it's me. (laughs) it's not, but it's not just me. It's us. What do I want? What what do I want for my friends? What do I want for my family? I want us. I want us. I want us to do what? Nothing. It's just to be here together. And this is what Aristotle says. And Thomas says after him is that, that one of the chief properties of true friendship is that friends wish, above all, to spend time together. Okay, What? What? You, maybe you're hunting. Maybe you're studying philosophy. Maybe, you know, maybe it's Nintendo Switch. <laughs> it, 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 it could be built up around anything, but the thing that friends want for one another is a kind of fellowship, a togetherness, a real concourse and exchange. That's it. So, Thomas, when Thomas reads this, these passages I mentioned above, in, in light of this Aristotelian framework, things fall into place. And he says, Aha! What an elegant expression of this, this life that God has created for us and redeemed for us in his son. He goes on after having defined friendship. Therefore, since there is a particular fellowship between human beings and God, insofar as he shares his happiness with us upon this fellowship, there must be founded some kind of friendship. This fellowship is mentioned in first Corinthians. God is faithful by whom you are called unto the fellowship of his son And now the love which is founded on this fellowship is charity. Thus, it's evident that charity is a kind of friendship of man or friendship of a human being toward God. So let's elaborate Thomas's insight in this passage by noting how the four parts of true friendship obtain in charity. Which is, you know, you can think of here. Let me invite you right now to think of this word charity as I'm using it as the proper name of a very particular friendship, okay? What's it like? Thomas says first in this friendship that we find a very particular kind of love. By sanctifying grace, he says, it is efficaciously caused in man that God be loved for God's own sake. By divine grace, God has from all eternity past ordained that you would be so transformed that you could w- wish God well that you could that you would be from a, a habitual disposition that's a part of your own person that you would be oriented toward God in praise in recognition of God's unsurpassing goodness. Yeah, so sometimes when we I begin to talk about this, I, I, I notice in people's eyes a question, and it's, what's that like? Well, it's not like wanting something for yourself. It's more like If you've ever seen the Grand Canyon, I don't know what that was like for you, or if you've ever seen something truly sublime in its, in its just vast depth and grandeur, it's hard to take in. But when you, when I see something like this, I think to myself, wow, I want everyone to see this. What I don't think is, this is so amazing, I want it all for myself. Ooh, if I could just, if I could just put this, the grand Canyon in my pocket, it would be mine. No, it's, it's, a, it's a different response of the human heart, a, a recognition of a good that is, that is um, a common good, something in which everyone can take part Without it being diminished. So the first thing to note is that God has poured into your heart a kind of love by which you're just, by which which you can love God. And you can do this. You can make acts of, of love, as we say. You can just say, God, I love you. You are good. And listen to the psalmist. You're good beyond all measure. I mean, th- these guys go on all day. <laughs> you can do that. The principal object of charity is, is God, but it this is for another talk. It very curiously and wondrously extends to others. Any doubts about how this can happen? Could, could be dissolved pretty quickly by noticing that you tend to love those who your friends love and it can be especially difficult when your friends love people who you don't find very lovable but you tend to just love them anyway yeah love has a kind of logic that, that expands in that way it creates a community. The principal object of, of, of this friendship is love. God is the principle from which happiness flows. is the, the font of goodness. Um, moreover, there's a mutuality that obtains in this friendship. Here I'll read a quote from Thomas from the commentary on the Gospel, John. Many people attribute to themselves the cause of God's friendship. But our Lord rejects this by saying, you did not choose me. Jesus is saying, in effect, whoever's been called to this noble friendship should not attribute the cause of this friendship to himself, but to me, who chose him as a friend. This passage highlights something else that would be interesting to talk about. But it does show that the that the basis of the love God has poured in your heart is God's own love for you. It's in virtue of God's immeasurable love for you that God has transformed you so that you are able to love God in turn. So there's a, a, a mutuality. And there's a priority. Uh, you didn't choose to love God. God chose to love you and chose you to love him in turn. That's a mystery. Finally, there's this, what, there's a kind of sharing, a kind of fellowship, a togetherness, a mutual pursuit entailed. Charity, Thomas says, is a certain friendship of a human being for God founded on the fellowship of eternal happiness. He says it's a supernatural fellowship, a fellowship of the gifts of grace, a fellowship of grace Here he's talking about the goods upon which this friendship is founded as goods that are being pursued mutually in tandem with God. Uh, What's he mean? Okay, so to say that God loves you is properly to say that God wants the highest good for you. And guess what that is? God. God. That's what what beatitudo means, what, what happiness means is a kind of union with God. So to say that this friendship is a friendship founded on the fellowship of eternal happiness is to say that God, by the infusion of grace and charity and the other virtues, gives you the habits needed to pursue this thing together with God. This thing being not a thing, but a who, God himself. Now the question is, uh, what is the concrete thing? What does the, the togetherness look like? What is the, what is, where does this fellowship actualize in our lives primarily? If we said earlier that every friendship involves a concrete sharing of life, a kind of communicatio, the question now is, what is the communicatio, uh, the, the concrete sharing in which all these goods are pursued? Where does that happen? What is its domain? And what I want to show you now is that, according to Thomas, the charity's chief domain is the contemplative life. that that we've been talking about. And prayer uh, is a part of that. Check this out. This is what Thomas says. He says, This seems to be especially proper to friendship, namely to live together with one's friend. Now the living together of a man with God is through contemplation of him. Just as the Apostle says in Philippians 3.20, our conversation is in heaven. Our living together with God is in heaven. Since therefore the Holy Spirit makes us lovers of God, Romans 5.5, okay? Consequently, we are made contemplators of God too. I'll just keep reading because this is This is cheering to hear. It's also proper to friendship that one delight in the presence of a friend, rejoices in his words and deeds, and finds consolation in him against all anxieties. Hence, we take refuge in a friend, especially amid sorrows. Since, therefore, the Holy Spirit makes us friends with God and makes him dwell in us and us dwell in him, it follows that through the Holy Spirit we have joy in God in consolation against all the world's adversities and, and assaults. So, in this passage, Thomas says many things, but the one I want to point your attention to first is that by virtue of the fact that we are made lovers of God, Thomas says, we are consequently made contemplators of God too. This living together, this fellowship of man with God here and now in this life is through contemplation of him. And now I want to just pull a couple of passages from, from various works to show you how Thomas caches this out with respect to each of the each of the core acts of the contemplative life that we talked about last night. And then I'll say a little something about prayer. So look, he says the contemplative life, not merely contemplation, but also every act that in some way leads to it, reading, meditation, prayer, all this proceeds from love of the thing contemplated. Why is that? How's that true? Well, contemplation is a kind of gazing, a kind of of dwelling with or dwelling among or resting in the presence of. And each of the acts that precede contemplation properly so-called are activities that hasten and make possible and condition that dwelling together. So look, he says, meditation um, is connected with love. Love makes the lover meditate on the beloved. And, And this is true. I mean... You know, okay. Someone asked about poetry earlier. Uh, the Bible includes quite a lot of beautiful poetry. The Song of Songs is it has traditionally been understood as the um, as the most vivid window that we have in Holy Scripture into uh, the contemplative life that that we've got, and it's um, it's vivid. It's um, and it captures something uh, about the soul's relationship with God by analogy to human relationships. And you may have noticed that when people fall, you know, in love, they become students of one another. You know, there, there isn't a detail um, that's uh, that's too small to take note of. There isn't a, um, and one doesn't need any any good reason to to dwell upon, to to meditate on, not to scrutinize, but to take stock of the goodness of one's friend or one's spouse. Meditation, uh, if. If it's a kind of making present, kind of dwelling of the mind on the object of one's reading, uh, it in some way, as we saw last night, it's a way of holding present God's goodness as as it's described in Holy Scripture. Look at this quote on prayer. Thomas says that the cause of prayer is the desire of charity from which prayer ought to arise. And later on, he says that prayer proceeds from charity as its root. And I, I want to I double back on this point um, in a moment. This is what I would like to focus on in closing. But first, I, I want to point out this passage on, on contemplation itself. Thomas says that although the contemplative life consists chiefly in an act of the intellect, it has its beginning in the appetite, since through charity, it's through charity that one is urged to the contemplation of God. What's that mean? It means that contemplation as a kind of gazing, a kind of resting in God's goodness is is an act of of the intellect, an act of the mind, as we say. But what moves us to dwell on God's goodness is it's something that begins in the appetite, specifically in the will. It's precisely because we love God that we are moved to dwell on God and dwell with God. He says, and since the end corresponds in the beginning, it follows that the terminus and end of the contemplative life is also in the appetite, since one delights in seeing the thing loved and the very delight in the thing seen arouses yet greater love. Yesterday, Father Jonas said something to the effect of the whole premise of the Thomistic Institute is that you can't love more what you don't know more, something like that that love always follows knowledge. Here Thomas is saying, uh, is, is recognizing this, and he, but he's also pointing out that, that, uh, that there's a kind of cyclical relationship. The more that we grow in love for God, or the more that we come to know God through the contemplative life, the more we come to see God's goodness, the more we grow in charity for God by God's grace. Um, in turn, because charity is what moves us to the contemplation of God, we are hastened on to deeper contemplation of God, which precipitates greater charity and also with it greater joy and greater delight and greater hope, which are necessary in this life, which is riddled with sorrow and opportunities for fear, anxiety, and despair. That's why he says above in this passage from the, from the, um, against the Gentiles that, that contemplation is a kind of bulwark and friendship with God's a kind of bulwark against every anxiety. It goes on to say, this is the end of the contemplative life. Namely that the divine truth be not only seen, but also loved. And the more that it's seen, the more that it's loved, the more that it's loved, the more that it's desired to be seen and on and on and on. And this goes on forever begins here and continues in eternal life. Okay, so prayer. Thomas says that the root of prayer is charity. We tried to place prayer in the context of the contemplative life to talk about the way in which charity motivates the entire contemplative life. Now I just want to point out some passages in which Thomas Remarks on the way that prayer is conditioned by charity, understood as a kind of friendship. So first he says here, now prayer tends to God through being moved by the will of charity, as it were, in this in two ways. First, on the part of our, uh, the object of our petition. Because when we pray, we ought principally to ask to be united to God. And and this goes back to the very nature of friendship and the nature of charity specifically. What friends want is to be together. And this, Thomas is saying, is the principal object of our prayer. God, bring me into your presence. You know, what does the psalmist say? How lovely is your dwelling place O Lord God Almighty. Where when Peter sees Christ transfigured, his first impulse is, we're going to stay here, right? I should, you know, I should set up. I should prepare a place for us. We're never going to leave. Oh, no, <laughs> not yet, Peter. Someday. This is just a taste. What friends want is to be together. And what ch- charity is a kind of friendship moves us to this, this union. And prayer is the cry of the heart for this togetherness. That's the principal object of our petition. Secondly, he goes on, on the part of the petitioner who ought to approach the person whom he petitions, either locally, as when you petition him in, you've got to go talk to the person to ask them, or mentally in the mind uh, that's in the soul, the mens, as when he petitions God. And hence, Dionysius says in On the Divine Names, chapter 3, that when we call upon God in our prayers, we are unveiling our mind in God's presence. So Thomas is here drawing our attention to the way in which, as petitioners, we are moved by charity to uh, a kind of uh, interior locality, we're, we're moved to take seriously the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and to recognize as petitioners and as friends of God that God is um, indeed already with us now. So this conditions prayer in a way that we're, we're recognizing the reality, the truth, the concrete nature of, of what God has already achieved in Christ. A little further down, I mean, someone asked earlier about, about whether we should feel trepidation in composing our own prayers. Um, Thomas distinguishes between a number of kinds of fear, and um, he says that there's worldly fear. This is the fear of, um, the fear of man, the fear of not wanting to be scorned by the world for believing things that the world regards as foolish. Uh, This is not from the Lord, but there is another kind of fear that God gives us, and even um, and it's imperfect. But even what He calls a kind of servile fear is that there's a can be a way in which God can even give us this. This is there's a there's something at a a kernel of something good about fearing God as a kind of um, merely as someone. Who is in a position to decide our fate, or from whom we who we ought to fear, in the sense that, um, that in looking at our own um, our own deficiencies, as Augustine says, you know, the, the cauldron of, of the soul, that we would fear God. But this is an imperfect kind of fear. It's supposed to fall away as we grow in our relationship to God. It becomes uh, or is displaced by what he calls a kind of filial fear. This is the fear that, um, that children have with respect to their parents or that friends have with respect to their friends. And the fear isn't, the object of fear isn't one's parent or one's friend. The object of fear is the thought that overwhelming goodness of this relationship might be damaged by, uh, or might be um, breached by something I would do. And so in this sense, the fear of God is it's not aimed at God himself, but it's a response to the goodness of the friendship that God has forged with us. And a recognition of its goodness and of the um, of the great loss that would ensue were we to act in a way that doesn't accord with it the flip side of that is uh, this point here about prayer um, to you know, filial fear is a kind of property that emerges out of the love of charity um, according to which we relate to God as um, one friend to another and more specifically as a son or a daughter to a loving father that's why Jesus teaches us to pray the our father he says prayer should arise from an affection like that of a child for its parent One who asks out of fear does not ask a father, but a master or an enemy. Matthew 7, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I think the point here is is to say that we are invited by Christ's own words and by The prayers that Christ has taught us to take seriously the character of the relationship that God has established with us. You know, you are a child of God. That is what you are. And your prayer life um, is meant to be informed by the reality. Of this relationship and what it's like. And if there's a reason to understand charity and its structure, it's to better understand how one is meant to approach God in prayer. Not as a taskmaster, not as an enemy, but as a friend and a father. I've, I've put this little quote here from the commentary on Job to uh, just to st- stimulate your thinking here, but I, I think I'm just going to pause there, and we can just I'd like I think we should talk about some of this. Let's see what your questions are. You said well, i guess, um, said that the terminus. I don't have in front of but contemplation is in appetite, right? Because it's like love between us. terminus. Yeah. Um, but if I'm right, I thought that he said. Question three in the first part of the second part that the that happiness consists not of the but of knowledge of God. I kind of kind of, think of
1: happiness and yeah.
0: What he says is, um, it's Adam, the, you the question? yes, <laughs> uh, I said something in the, my talk about the terminus of of contemplation being in the appetite. And the and your name. Um, pardon me. And Luke was drawing my attention to Thomas's point in the first part of the second part that happiness, uh, or which principally consists in contemplation, is an act of the intellect. Right. Okay. Uh. Uh. Okay. And then. All right. Also, no. Look, we're going to do it this way. You've got what's called the very essence of happiness, Thomas. This is how he explains it. Uh, this is uh, the uh, this is contemplation by which the mind is united to God. Okay. Uh, to understand what he's saying here, you have to understand something about uh, the passions so what delight is um, and joy is a specific, sometimes Thomas uses it uh, coterminously with joy, sometimes he talks about joy as being a specific kind of it in any case delight and joy is a um, resting in uh, a, a present good we don't, you know we could talk about this. We tend to think of love. We talk about joy and as a kind of exuberance, and Thomas thinks that's right. But the exuberance is a is actually somewhat ephemeral to the a more basic thing that's happening when we're when we're experiencing delight and joy is We're we're just vibing with <laughs> <laughs> the goodness of something that's right there, it's it's good. It's like the first time you ever heard. Uh, John Coltrane's "A Love Supreme," and it's like boom, you know. I'm like, whoa, that is interesting. Now it gets a little hairy, but you know, you you hear something, and you the first thing you think is, um, it, it's because other passions pile up on top of delight so quickly, like desire um, and and hope and things like this, that we miss the the, the core of what what joy or delight really is but it's a resting in the presence of, of some good. And so he says um, there's a what's connected to this this activity necessarily is what he calls the um, the proper accident it's a proper accident of, of happiness okay um, so if you've got fire you've got heat um, or when Aristotle says that a human being is a rational animal, by definition, uh, it's a proper accident of our rationality that we, are, we have the capacity for laughter. That's not part of the definition of a human being. The very essence of a human being is that we are rational animals. As a proper accident or a proper consequence of that, we have the capacity for laughter. In the same way he says the very essence of happiness is contemplation, this is an act of the intellect but it it generates necessarily joy. And joy um so it's not just joy but love because um love is prior to joy. Love is the first moment motion of the will toward the goodness of a thing and joy is a kind of resting in it. And so these are necessary uh, accidents. All of this belongs to what he calls the uh, Latin is the ratio beatitudinous, terrible uh, terrible penmanship, um, the, 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 the ratio of happiness, but he's going to clarify this in a very particular way, and so when he says that the terminus, so the terminus of this Moment. So you you are um, you are joined with the a a, the font of goodness itself, God's own goodness, which is so immeasurably good. It's you know that um, it's unsearchable. Um, You will um, you will experience necessarily as a as an overflow of this love. Joy. These are I, I call them passions, but they're also they have um, affections of the will. Okay, this flows that that the, are the, there too. And that's what he's talking about. Now um, Thomas also says over and over in his commentary on the Psalms is uh, and in and, and many other places is that um, that even now you can know God's goodness and like you know that passage of St. Dominic you know and you can taste and see even now that the Lord is good it's not it's 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 here now for you as well in 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 a as a participation of eternal happiness does that help this is this is Thomas's answer you know people talk about the knockdown drag out Fight between the Dominicans and Franciscans over intellect and will and which of them is higher. T- this, I mean, to me, I've, if you study Aquinas, I think this is a very elegant uh, solution. I mean, I haven't spelled it out perfectly, but to, I, I don't see, it's hard for me to see, you know, w- what's not to like about that? That seems right to me. <laughs> it seems right. Time for one or two more Sorry, yeah, that was a long answer to a short question. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think... I'm still confused on what charity even is. Like, I think of charity as synonymous with love. But is that true? And if it's not, then, like, what is charity and how is it different than love? Yeah. Adam, could you repeat the question? Yes. Chloe. Chloe asked. Chloe asked about what charity is and whether charity is synonymous with love. Here's a uh, what Thomas would call a divisio uh, of love. You've got all these things that go under uh, love in the most general sense. You've got uh, the passion of love. Okay, you've got acts. Of love, a passion is is uh, kind of is distinguished from an action. It's an undergoing. When I hit a baseball, I'm acting, and the baseball is undergoing. Okay, and it's a um, the passion and action is distinct in that basic way. There's a kind of love that's a passion. There's a kind of love that's um, um, an act. We talked about the love of benevolence or the love or friendship, love as being the act of charity. You also have a Ha- a habit, um, and this is uh, friendship, um, and it can be, there are different kinds of friendship, and there's a the friendship of pleasure, this is, these are, um, you know, your drinking buddies, uh, hopefully you don't have friends who are just drinking buddies, but if you do have friends who are just drinking buddies, then you'll notice that, the you know, that's kind of what they're good for. Um, and that's it. Uh, friendships of utility, true friendships. What is this? It's a habitual disposition that is in you. What's a habitual disposition to? Certain kinds of activities and a disposition to being affected by others in certain ways so you sorrow with what you're, you know you're your with what your friends sorrow over you rejoice in what they rejoice okay it's a habitual disposition to certain acts passions what is charity it's a very particular true friendship a habitual disposition that god puts right in you and um, its habitual dis- disposition to love God. Uh, how? For God's own sake? Okay. Now, um, French charity as a habit uh, is basically this. But then there's also this thing that you that, that you're disposed to by charity, and that is that has to do with what we talked about uh, this communicatio, this sharing that obtains when two persons. God doesn't have habits because God is simple, but God is wondrously disposing God's own self toward you and your goodness. Uh, but you have, when two people have habits, you have a, some, a friendship that obtains between them, and that obtaining involves a kind of fellowship, It's a kind of togetherness, and it's, it, it consists most basically in the pursuit of some good that each friend wants for the other. And what the love of charity is is a, again, it's a, it's, it's a habit that God puts in you that disposes you toward loving God in a certain kind for God's own sake and to the mutual pursuit of fellowship with God. And what I was trying to show was that contemplation, as Thomas Thomas says in some of these passages I showed you, is the kind of place where this communicatio, in this life, this sharing, it's the place where, the primary place, where it unfolds. You know um, what is the what does it say in the song where have you gone in you know, a lover of my soul um, there are these images of of one of a person being drawn into uh, uh, a place of intimacy and what I'm trying, what I was trying to say, and what I think you will find Thomas say if you give yourself to Thomas's works, is that the contemplative life, reading, prayer, meditation, and contemplation um, are, are these great gifts that God has given to us um, to to um, forge a um, a foretaste of. Of this. And that's what he says. He says the contemplation begins here and it um, is perfected in heaven. Thank you, Professor. <laughs> 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 so, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. I understand. Yeah. Yeah.